0: All right, we're going to go to Moses' mission. So we're going to get on back into Exodus here. I'm going to take my time. There's a lot of good stuff, folks. I don't know about y'all, but the only thing I got pressing is the coming of Jesus. And if we don't finish this, then that'll be all right, too. Um, We'll be in verse 10 because last week we talked about the burning bush experience and the change it did and what it brought out uh, in, in Moses. And any child of God that's seeking to walk with God will have a similar type event where God speaks to you, asks you to step up, asks you to move from where you're at uh some will be called into ministry some's called into missions some called to uh, teach and uh scholars uh there's so many different things where God calls you and and there's some common threads there but the main thing is you responding to that call well after God calls he begins to speak to you like he did Moses, about why and what he wants to do. In my life, he called me out to surrender to service, but he didn't begin to speak to me about (coughs) what he wanted me to do for a little while, but he was working on that. Drink from my Don't Be a Dog Tick cup. But this is how he spoke to Moses and began to tell him. Therefore. (coughs) I told you I was getting better. Therefore is always leading into the next part of a statement or move of God. Once Moses responded to God's call, now he can speak to him about what? to do (coughs) I don't know who gave me this crud but I wish you could have it back this is a problem with a lot of people God I'll serve you but I need to know what you want me to do that's not the way it works folks God's not because that's a stipulation you're saying God, I'll serve you if I like what you're going to ask me to do. No, God's saying, I want you to serve me. He invited Moses. He spoke to him. He began to tell him and show him who he was. And he says, now, after Moses responded, he says, Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. A lot of times you want to overlook this come now which to me, it's a very important two words right there because what he's doing is saying, now Moses, it's time to move from where you are to where we're going to go. You see, when God calls you, (coughs) you can't stay where you're at. You may stay in that physical area But you can't stay where you're at within your walk with God. You've got to be willing to move into that next chapter or part of... That's the way it goes. Talk all day and get choked up when you get to preaching the word but you can't stay where you are you're going to have to move and go further than where you've ever been before he says I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people the sons of Israel out of Egypt so he lays it out You wouldn't think it would be, oh no, she done whooped her husband and, and uh, he couldn't even come today. This would probably really do it. You're a blessed woman, Jez. She just, she just want to be on Facebook. Everybody, that's Jezebel right there. That's what we call her. She's a good one though. She's a good Jezebel. But um unless she poisoned that fentanyl. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh but you wouldn't think Moses would be worried about going to Pharaoh ex because he'd been in the temple. He'd been around uh Pharaoh's. It's forty years later. I don't know if the Pharaoh's there then was the one that was there when he was drove out, but if he wasn't, it would have been a son or a direct descendant. So at least whoever was on the throne at this time knew who Moses was. He's an ex-con at this point, been out of Egypt for forty years, and God says, "I'm going to take you to Pharaoh." You ever, you remember when you was a child? Did something wrong. Guys, I know you, y'all you been there. And your mama said, when your daddy gets home, I hope daddy has a flat on the way home. You know, I didn't want daddy coming home when mama was going to tell him. I knew that was not a good thing. Can you think about how Moses thinking when God says, I'm going to take you to Pharaoh? God, can we talk about this a little bit? It would be a scary situation because he he probably understood because he had killed an Egyptian that his life could be in danger. But God turned right around and said, I'm going to take you to Pharaoh, and you're going to lead the children of Israel out. Your minds might be thinking negative, and God's already telling you this is going to be your chore. This is going to be your task. You're going to deliver my people. Be pretty overwhelming. I've been doing some studying on the. About Moses and. In what. uh, How God already prepared him. In the 40 years he spent in Pharaoh's court. More than likely he was within the military and was a leader, and a military leader, and developed a lot of qualities that it would take to lead a large group of people out. Because the logistical nightmare, plus the understanding of how to delegate and put people in charge to lead and, and to, uh, to cause them to work together. So God already put that in there, but then he he shelved that and then he began to teach him how to be humble by tending to some sheep. So God had already taught him for 80 years, but in his calling and in in this mission, he said, I'm going to send you, he said, come now, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you, that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But, This is pretty common when when people are called by God, too. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? The thing I've learned about God, the person that thinks he's qualified is the least likely candidate to go. Nearly everybody you see within Scripture struggled with what God was calling them to do. I don't know about you, John, but in my calling, I said, God, I'll do anything, but I'm not the person you need to preach. Because I looked at preaching not in a negative sense, but a higher calling than I was worthy of. It was like, God, that's something only people that have given their life to you and devoted themselves and been prepared, those are the only people that qualify. I looked into my life and I said, I'm not qualified. And that was my biggest struggle with surrender. It wasn't, not wanting to do it, it's not seeing myself as the person could do it. And that's why I can really relate to what Moses is doing. He said, who am I that I should go and that I should bring? This was a great task. and it's, I'm just a little shepherd out here. I've lost my ability. I'm no longer a prince or a king or any great military leader. I'm just an old keeper of sheep. I'm a nobody living out in the desert. Well, God didn't get angry. He says, uh, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you, and when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Folks, there's a promise right there. That word certainly in the English term, he's saying, without a doubt, without any fear, I'm going to be with you, Moses. And only then can a man or woman fully be all that God wants them to be because they have to accept that promise and realize my success is not in my ability but in God's ability because you will never accomplish anything for God unless it's of God you may do a lot of things but God's got what Henry Blackaby said, and I like quoting him God's task or God's size task. And he does it with men and women who can't do it. Because that's how he glorifies himself. So he tells Moses, he says, Certainly I will be with you. That's the reassurance when God calls you. I'm going to be with you. And this shall be a sign. In other words, you watch for this sign so you know that i am with him that it is i who have sent you when you know that god is sending you it's not your ability he's saying i'm i'm the one who sent you i'm the one that's brought you here and through the years it's always what brought me comfort when persecutions and trials and things come upon you and you think the whole world's on you, you say, God, what am I doing here? God says, Because I brought you here. What am I doing in Omaha, Texas? I can tell you the time, date, and the very moment God told me I was coming back to Omaha. And I struggled with it because it's my hometown. I didn't know what was about to happen, didn't know what God was going to do. Didn't know whether I could be successful coming back to a, a town where I spent so many wild and rebellious years. People knowing about the sin and the things and the people I have to confront. People I have wronged, people I've done good with. But I had to confront all that when I came back. But I always say the reason I'm here. Because you brought me God. Therefore you have a purpose for me. I don't have a desire to be anywhere else. Except where God has me. And um, But I had to see what God was doing. Just like Moses was going to see. He said when you brought the people out. This is another promise. There's no doubt of failure. Now this is a statement that. Moses is going to have to hold on to. When he stands before Pharaoh ten times, trying to get the people to to be let go of, but I promise you, every time Pharaoh said no, Moses stood on this promise because God said, "When you have brought them out," so he knew it was going to be fulfilled. And so when you brought them out, you shall worship me on this mountain. That when they came out and God fulfilled that promise, they would come out back to Mount Sinai. You helped my cough, dear, but you didn't help my nose. <laughs> come up here and bring me your sleeve, would you? Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Uh, Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What in the world ever brought this thought up? I, I mean, I could question God in a lot of things. Asking him what his name was was not one I felt people would ask. So I don't have any idea why he brought this up, but that's what he was concerned about. Who are you when they ask? Feel blessed. Look, I got so many great people up here. I feel nasty right up here in front of you, blowing my nose and coughing and hacking. But remember, one of y'all gave it to me. Um, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Uh and what should I say? This is what God said. I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is what God wants him to refer to him as. I am. heard a preacher teach this one time. What does I am mean? I am, fill in the blank. I am your salvation. I am your deliverer. I am your savior. I am your sustainer. I am everything you need. I am. And I said, that really makes a lot of sense. God is all I need. Folks, we're living in a world right now that's doing Because every day to get to literally become hell on earth, Because every demon in hell, I believe, is rampant right now in the world society, not just America, throughout the world. And uh, there's nothing I can depend on, nothing I hold on to. I get a check from the government every month got a little money in the bank, got a job up here, draw a check, things are good. Then I watched Fox News this week, come to find out half the world's starting to trade in the Chinese yen or yon or in the Russian ruble. I knew last year when the ruble hit bottom, I probably should have bought a truckload of them. But I didn't know that they're doing that. There's five countries that have started a new currency. One is Brazil, one's Russia, one um, um, is India, China and South Korea. I mean, South Africa. They had joined together about 10 years ago. Developing a new world currency. It's been growing and working. Now they, in this past month or two, have signed agreements with Iran, Iraq, other oil-producing countries to begin trading oil no longer in the U.S. dollar, but in the Chinese or Russian monetaries so huh and uh, so they're doing that and they inviting over 20 other countries to come join them nearly every one of them's in the Middle East or, or oil producers for I guess the past 75 or 100 years at least since World War II the dominant currency in the world has been the U.S. dollar. And I guess what I'm telling you is your dependence on your U.S. dollar could go out to window pretty quick. I've told y'all something's going to happen this fall that's going to impact Israel. I don't know what it'll be, whether it's World War Three or The collapse of the united states but just think of this we owe trillions of dollars to china if they break the american dollar to where it's worthless or worth a third of what it is today and they call our debt no longer will this nation be 31 trillion dollars in debt we very well may be $100 trillion in debt. We couldn't pay the $31 trillion back in dollars. How in the world are we going to pay back $100 trillion in China or Russian money? Get real serious. So who do we put our faith in? I'm going to put my faith in I am. Because he didn't deal with money. He doesn't deal with silver or gold. I'm going to put my faith in God's church because he's equipped the church to be a lighthouse to a lost and dying world. And just as he told Moses to tell the Israelites as they go on this journey that I am has sent me, I'm telling you on the journey in front of us, I am is the one that's going to carry us through it. So, that's not a historical, that's a prophecy of whatever we're going to face in the near future, that the same God that says, I am, in verse 14, is the same I am, that's going to carry his people into the new world. Furthermore, said to Moses, "Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your uh, fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and he lists all of them. This is my name forever. In other words, this is what I want you to call me forever. I am. And that's my moral name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of, you know, I am indeed concerned about you, and what has been done to you because they had been crying out for Yahweh to lead them out of this bondage and God was about to do it they needed the good news folks when we hear good news the bad part about it is we're ready to happen right then don't you think they were ready to get out of Egypt it wasn't going to be as quickly as they'd like and it wasn't going to be as easy as they liked. like and then they didn't like it when they got out because they were misled by some slick talking folks that God had never spoken to and wasn't about to He convinced, they tried to convince them to go back verse 17 and I will bring you up out of this affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, I talked Sunday about properly interpreting Scripture. You read that right there. We're looking for a river of milk and a bunch of honey, right? Take that Scripture literally. That's what he said. That's why you got to understand and look and see what he's talking about. You can't just take that right there and say, God's going to give us milk and honey flowing out of the ground, Folks, it's not. But you see, you have to learn to look and see what's being said in Scripture and how does it match up. Well, if you go on over in Scripture and read when the spies went in to spy out the land, what did they bring out on a pole? a cluster a cluster of grapes that they had to be suspended between a pole and when they came back they reported about all the great farms and all the the blessings that were there so when we look back at this and consider what they saw you understand the proper uh interpretation of this is not milk and honey but blessings of great value things that are considered uh you know first of all milk was a commodity that unless your cow was wet you didn't have milk and in a dry area an old cow would tend to dry up if she's not recently had a calf you don't have a lot of milk and babies starve to death without milk people tend to not have calcium without it honey would be a rarity in the desert but that's the sweetness of life so what god's saying he said the blessings of life that's going to sustain you are there in this land what's the name of that land Palestine Israel the land of Canaan the promised land there's promise there, but the land that they that they occupy right now is what God's sending them because he had made Abraham a promise that they would come into there. And, and so God's talking about fulfilling that. So he's laying this stuff out there for them. But, but I know the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So now this is a warning that God's given to Moses. Compulsion. In other words, you're go, he's going to have to be convinced to let you go. He's not laying out the ten plagues. He's telling Moses, it's not going to be easy. I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to do some things in his life to force him to let you go. But he doesn't lay it out. Moses is already struggling with grasping all this. When God calls you, you will struggle. You won't you won't have all the answers, but I promise you, if you will respond to His promise of being with you, He will lay out the rest of it later on. And because you don't know what you're going to face anyway, so why worry about it? You may face a lot, you may not. But why would you spend time uh, worrying over stuff? People will worry over the end days. Why? It's scary, but what can you do to prepare for it? You don't know what you're going to have to prepare for. But you know what you can do? You can trust in I Am. And that's what He's going to ask you to do. Alicia, if you need a Kleenex, Charlotte's got them. She brung it up there to me. All right, verse twenty. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of uh, of it. And after that, he will let you go. Moses, you're gonna see a lot of miracles done. The people gonna see a lot of miracles done, and they're gonna be overwhelmed because there was no miracles being done by the Egyptian god. Then In verse 22, he talks about they're going to come out with great wealth. That the women will go talk to the women around them and God's going to cause them to pour out gold and silver and other valuables to there. And now when you look further on over in the Exodus, after they come out, what did God cause to happen? He just poured it out. There it was. Then they get back down to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and we got all this gold, silver, and all this. And Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God. And uh, yeah, we get a little scared because Moses is dead. That's what somebody thought. God done killed him. Didn't like that old sucker anyway. We need to go back. And if we go back, we better appease the Egyptian god. And that was a common god. It was a, a, a calf, a golden calf. And so they convinced Aaron to make him one. A couple sins there. They destroyed Aaron's credibility as being an alternative leader. By convincing him to do what they wanted. And there's, there might be a couple things we'll talk about There is, First of all, God called Moses, not Aaron. Why did Aaron get involved? Because Moses didn't have the faith that he could do it. So he said, but God, I'm limited in speech. I can't talk good. And God said, okay, we'll let Aaron be the spokesperson. So partly in Aaron's defense, he had not received these promises. And he feared the people. But partly because Aaron didn't have very much faith in moses or god because he chose not to he'd rather he feared for his life yeah that's 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 a good thing because what happens in people's lives today is is their faith is not solid and if you don't have a solid faith, you don't know the God that you serve, you've not allowed him to teach you and grow your faith, I promise you when it come time to, to threaten you, you will react just like Aaron. Your fear, death, instead of fearing God. You better learn to trust God no matter what somebody else does because he's the only one can take care of you after they kill you now look at me now think about that I'm going to try to do what man wants me to because I want to live on this earth a day or two longer You're on the verge of it right now. That's why a lot of people won't preach what I've preached the past two weeks. They just soon not go there. Because you very well could be in trouble uh, for taking a stance like that. His church could. Somebody Could do whatever. I don't know. But you know what? The God that got us here, be the God that will get us wherever we need to go, no matter what. If He puts you in jail, he puts me in jail for preaching it, I'll miss my family, but I guess I'll just preach in jail. If they kill me, then I don't have to preach no more. I'll get my hug. I'll get my cabin, and I'll get to sit there and with a rocking chair in my little valley and get to see a lot of saints that I look forward to seeing. Because I, I don't fear death. I don't fear man. I don't, I don't relish the thought of making people mad. But, folks, it breaks my heart that people will not listen to the Word of God. It literally breaks my heart. I cry when I pray about the situation this world's in. I just, it bothers me. It bothers me that my grandchildren have to grow up in this kind of world and not know the love and the, to live in a community. We didn't lock doors. You'd pick up a hitchhiker. Your house would be unlocked. You'd go up there and borrow a phone. You'd loan people. stuff. Man, I grew up in a blessed time. But my grandchildren will never know that. They'll never live in a society like that. Folks, we talk about it all the time. We carried more guns to school back in the 70s. Every boy up there had one or two, and we stuck it in the gun rack behind the seat in broad open view. Yeah, we didn't worry about that. I mean, we're no big deal about having a gun. We're going hunting. And I promise you, even though it was illegal to have pocket knives. In the 8th grade, my principal took up pocket knives from us while we were in football one day. He couldn't carry them in two hands. There were 40 knives from 33 people. 8th grade. What would happen to an 8th grader today if he carried a pocket knife? They'd throw him under the school, under somewhere. And you know what? We never pulled a knife when we got in a fight. You never heard of anybody shooting anybody. Never heard of anybody stealing somebody's gun. They got a gun. They're just like shoot me if I get it, you know. It was a blessed time. The thing I hated was too many people knew me. And a new mom and daddy's telephone number. Or they bumped into them. That was, a, man, if I had had a cell phone back then, I'd been in a world of hurt. I could get by with a lie every now and then. But my grandkids will never experience a life of, of that much joy. We got out of school, man, I can go get a job anywhere. I can work, I can make a payment on a truck, I can drive, I have gas, and I can take somebody out, I can go do this, and and the future is bright. I can build a house, I did, I built a house in 1980, and it it was just wide open to whatever. I don't know what my grandkids are going to face, but it's not pretty. That's why I put my faith in I Am. That's why Moses had to put his faith in I Am. And that's why you got to have that same type of faith. The only way you can grow faith is by following Him and stepping out when He says, Come. And When I want you to do this, you do it. And you got to know His character we talked about this up here today. You know, people say, well, we're a New Testament church. We don't lead in the Old Testament. Man, I want to know everything about God. I can. The Old Testament tells me a lot about God's character. I can learn a lot just from these scriptures we talked about tonight, about how to apply my life. So why in the world would you kick that out and say, I don't want to have this? You're saying, I don't want to learn that about God. I want to just stay over here. Man, I want to know all I can because he's an awesome God. You're getting out early, four minutes early. Are you learning anything? Are you applying what you learn? That's the whole key. You've got to move from the upstairs to the bottom stairs To be lived out. Won't do you a bit of good. Just rolling around up there. In that old empty space up there. It's got to get down. Where it comes on down into your heart. And your hands. And your legs. And your mouth. And stuff. That's why I love. What you tell me about Quinn. Quinn six years old. She gets up there and sings. And I don't know what you hear, but I hear the voice of an angel. She doesn't have a perfect voice. She's a developing little girl. But she sings from her heart. And she's witnessing the people. She's got a joy, and she gives some of the sweetest hugs of anybody. we got lots of them little angels running around out there that just bless your soul. And they're learning to love the Lord and to live for Him because you've got them up here in this church and we've got godly men and women willing to teach them. And those godly men and women aren't getting paid a nickel. But they do it because they love them and they want them to grow up. And that's what gives me promise because until Jesus comes again, I want them to know I want them to know the great I am and that he will sustain them and care for them because that's the only promise they have anymore. All right? Father, bless these as they come tonight. Just give them a good day tomorrow. and May you be glorified in all that we say and do. Amen. Thank you all for being patient and not getting grossed out with my cold.